This is a recipe for disaster up here. Yeah. Take your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 this morning. Luke chapter 12. And while you're turning there, I want to read to you a card and share with you a prayer request this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12, verse 22 this morning. To our church family, a heartfelt thank you for your acts of kindness, meals of love, and prayers of supplication. This side of heaven, you will never know how much they have meant to the Grice family as a whole. May God bless each of you in Christ, Paul and Tony, on behalf of the Grice family. And... Uh, it's, uh, I said to Paul this morning, when you sing words like, what a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering our hope, it's, it's good to know on a day like today where your mom is when she left this earth. It's really good to know, and we're grateful for that. I share this prayer request with you this morning, and I ask you to join me in really praying for Charlie Williams. Um, the pneumonia is not leaving, and they can't determine the source of the bacteria that they're fighting. They, they, they took the intubation tube out yesterday, and by the end of the day, they had to intubate him again. His body is just filling full of fluid. Um, and as you pray for Charlie, I'd ask you to pray for Norma. Um, it's really tough to be at home and wishing you could be with your husband. Pray for their two adult children who... I know years ago made professions of faith, but I know are not living for the Lord. This is tough for them. But our God is great. Our God is the God of all comfort. And our God has a plan for Charlie, and I'm confident that he is working that plan. And whether it's now or whether it's a year from now or whatever, God is going to take Charlie to himself. But we want to pray for that family. And so would you join me as we do so this morning? Father... We, we do lift to you our brother Charlie, our friend, and we, we ask, Lord, that you would be especially kind and near to him as he lays in that hospital bed, Lord, and his lungs are fighting to breathe. I pray for peace for him, Lord. I pray that, that he would know, even in the valley of the shadow of death, that you are with him. And I pray that you truly would be a comfort to him. I pray for Norma this morning, that you would comfort her heart, that you would watch over her. And Lord, I pray that you would, would use adversity such as this in the lives of his children and grandchildren to draw them to yourself. We love you, Lord. We are grateful that the promise of the word is true, that where two or three are gathered, in, that you're right there in the midst. And we need your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter 12 this morning. There was a time in the late 1980s that you couldn't turn on a radio without having this song come on. And I hesitate to even do it because some of you are going to be lost as soon as I do this. But there was a time in the late 80s you couldn't turn on a radio just about to any station and not hear Bobby McFerrin sing, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Right? Everybody but Pastor Andy got that. <laughs> Bobby McFerrin saw a poster on a friend's wall when he went over to their house for dinner, 
and it was an old Indian, oh my goodness, I told you it's a recipe for disaster up here. They're setting me up, man. Bobby McFerrin saw that saying on a poster on a wall at a friend's house, and he decided he was going to write a song about that. And the problem is, while there's some truth to that song, some 30-plus years later, <laughs> if only life was that simple, happiness is not the cure for worry. Happiness is not the cure for worry. Have you figured that out? Life, life isn't better just because you're happy. And let's be honest, a lot of life is spent not being happy. The number of ads on our TV stations would tell us that, that we live in a very worried society full of people who are just, just full to the rim with worry and anxiety. And I have to wonder, what don't we get? What are we missing? That's not to say that the guy standing in front of you this morning is the happiest, go-lucky guy in the world. I'm not. I worry about stuff just like you do. Yet the Bible has much to say, and our text today clearly talks about worry and anxiety. And, and quite honestly, if you just look with me at the first verse of our text in Luke chapter 12, verse 22, Jesus looks directly at his disciples, his followers, and he says to them, do not be anxious. Say it with me. Do not be anxious. Whose mouth did that come from? Church, whose mouth did that come from? And yet, how many of us battle with anxious thinking? Before we even get into this, there's several implications about Jesus telling us not to be anxious that we need to think about right off the offset. If, if he tells me to stop being anxious in my thinking, I must be able to do so through his power. Let me say that again. If, because there are some of you in the room here this morning who are convinced that you will never not be worried. You are convinced and you have allowed doctors and you've allowed the world around you to convince you that you will always have an anxiety problem. If you're the child of God, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because Jesus tells us don't be anxious. And if he tells us not to be, then I've got to believe that he is telling me and asking me and commanding me to do something that through his strength and power, I can defeat. Secondly, if he tells me to stop being anxious and I continue to be anxious, then I'm being disobedient. Let me say that again. If he tells me to stop being anxious and I continue to be anxious, I'm being disobedient. No more so than if he told me to stop lying and I continued to lie. You agree with that statement? So what we're dealing here this morning is with the heart issue, aren't we? Thirdly, implications. If he tells me to stop and he gives me the way to stop, I would be wise to follow his directions. If he tells me to stop being worried and he gives me the prescription for how to stop being worried, I would be wise to listen to what he has to say. So those three implications, those three things to think about shape the whole message this morning. But let's be honest. 
We are a people, we're a society that's plagued with worry, as I said before. And, and because the society around us is so plagued with worry, we are conditioned as believers to think that it's acceptable. We're, we're conditioned to think that it's okay to worry. Because that's what the world does. The world around me worries. But, but let's understand this. Life is hard, and anxiety and worry only make it more difficult. Life's hard. Nowhere in this text are you going to see Jesus say, hey, life is a breeze and you need to just you know, realize and understand how easy life is. No. There's real things that happen in life. People really get sick. People really lose jobs. People really have relationship issues. And yet in the middle of all that, Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry. Now, now I've got to ask us this. It's the beginning of this message. Is God that uncaring that he doesn't care about the things that make us worry and he just says, buck up and just get over it? Is that the way God works? No. Jesus cared about the things that, that worried people. He's demonstrated that over and over in his ministry. Yet he says to us, he says to his followers, notice the very first phrase, he said to his disciples, don't be anxious. So this morning, let's turn our attention to the word. Let's read this. And then in the brief time that we have, let's unpack this text together. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, they neither have storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. And how much of more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as smallest thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your, heavenly, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Father, may these not be just pithy little words that we hear this morning. May, these be, may our hearts be convinced these are the words of very truth and these are the bedrock that our souls need. Spirit, do your work in our hearts, our, our needy hearts, our worried hearts. Lord, prompt us, point out to us where, where we allow worry to creep in and just paralyze our thinking. Convict us of that, I pray, and then deliver us by your grace from it through what Christ teaches us this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. So in the context here, we saw last week Jesus addressing 
this man who wanted his brother to, to divide his inheritance. Remember, Jesus is teaching, and this man interrupts him. And he says, hey, make my brother give me my inheritance. And Jesus then stops and pivots away from his discuss- discussion that he's doing there about confessing Christ before men and, and, and fearing God and fearing Jesus and fearing the Holy Spirit. He pivots away from that, and he starts to talk about wealth. And, and, and what we saw last week was is that this man... The man in the parable, the rich man, is taken into account because he doesn't have a heart that's generous towards God. And I mentioned at the end of the message last week that one of the things that happens when we're asked to be generous and we're commanded to be generous is we begin to worry, will I have enough? Will I have enough? Interestingly enough, I had forgotten until my phone reminded me Monday morning, I had an appointment with my financial advisor that afternoon. And we had to talk about retirement funds, or lack thereof. And she said to me, how long do you plan on working? I said, from what you're telling me, I think till at least 110. (laughs) And she agreed with me that that's probably going to be the best retirement plan for me. But Jesus here is saying to his disciples, notice what he says there in verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He says to him, you've got to be rich towards your heavenly father. And so in that context, he now addresses worry. He turns away from the larger crowd, if you will, and he addresses his followers, his disciples. And this is what he says to them. Stop worrying. Don't be anxious about your life. We've got to think about this this morning. And we've got to think about where worry comes from. And I would submit to you that worry comes from two sources. And, and these are the same two sources for all of us. It comes from, number one, ignorance, and number two, unbelief. Worry comes from ignorance and it comes from unbelief. Ignorance, number one, of this. We all, at times, get ignorant of the magnitude of God's grace and provision in our lives. Sometimes we're willfully ignorant. Sometimes we just don't, we're not even aware of how gracious and how good and how much God provides for us. And so, and so worry begins whenever I'm ignorant. And it continues when I choose to unbelieve. And that simply is a lack of faith that God will keep his promises. Sitting in front of you, hopefully, either in electronic form or in an old paper and leather form, is a Bible that is full of God's promises to his people. And either we don't know them or, two, we don't believe them. So Jesus delves into this with this clear command, and he says, don't worry about food and clothing. And basically what he's saying is, don't even worry about the basic necessities of life. The, the, you can't get any more basic than food and clothing, can you? You can't get any more basic than that. And, and, and quite honestly, most of us in this room, probably 99.9% of us, don't even relate to this. We don't worry about food and clothing. When was the last time you walked to your closet and you're like, I really have nothing? I really have nothing. No, not women the way, like, I have nothing appropriate. I have nothing that I, no, no, when was the last time that, that you lived in a one-room house with a mud floor and there was no closet to even go to and had nothing? And so Jesus says this, 
Don't worry about even the basic necessities of life. Jesus isn't just saying about food and clothes. Don't make the mistake of saying this only applies to food and clothes, but I'm allowed to worry about everything else. No. Jesus is saying you simply don't even worry about the basic necessities, much less all the other things that we put in our lives. And let's be honest. The source of many of the worries in our life is because of the amount of stuff we have in our lives. But there's things to worry about. Is my kid going to turn out? You know, are they going to make the right choices? You know, what about this health scare and all this stuff? Jesus is saying, if you don't have to worry about the basic necessities of life, you don't even have to worry about the big stuff. And then he points his disciples to two things. And, and I just picture this as I see this in my mind's eye. Jesus sitting down, his disciples around him, the greater crowd around them. And Jesus just look, uh, looks up and he says, consider the birds. Look at all these birds flying around. Yeah, all these birds flying around. <laughs> it's like, do these birds rely on their efforts? I mean... When was the last time you went, like, like, we're at the mall or something, and all the seagulls come after you? It's kind of scary, isn't it? You get out of your car, and all these seagulls, you know, and you're like, mine, mine, mine. They, they don't plant crops. They don't work hard to, to, to do all that stuff. Seagulls just scavenge, don't they? And guess what? They are pretty well fed. Even these guys are pretty, they've they're got some substance to them. They don't have a backup plan. They scavenge, and that's what they do. And that's what Jesus is saying. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They don't have storehouse or barn, yet God feeds them. And he says this, consider the birds, and then he says, consider yourself. He says, of how much more value are you than the birds? Whether or not you choose to believe you're of value to God, Jesus is saying this right here. You're more valuable to God than a bunch of birds. You're, you're more valuable than, than, than these birds. And, and God makes sure that the birds are well fed. And, and don't, don't take this as an admonition here not to work. We should just be like the birds and we should just scavenge and rely on other people. No. He's just saying, this is the way I made birds. And, and if I can take care of birds who don't have the ability to go out and work and earn and take care of themselves, I can take care of you as well. And then he points out what I would call the total absurdity of worry. The total absurdity of worry. In verse 25. And which of you, looking around at his disciples, which, which one of you by your worry, can add an hour to your life. Just think, here's the, here is the Lord of the universe, God in the flesh, Jesus, sitting there, and he says to his disciples, any one of you worrying about stuff? Have you added any time to your life? And the obvious answer to that is what? No. And what Jesus is saying is, worry doesn't accomplish one positive, good thing for anybody. When was the last time that you really worried about something, and at the end of all your worrying, you got done, and you got to the end of it, and you said, I'm so glad I worried about that. I am so glad I stressed about that, because, because I stressed about it, things turned out right. It doesn't work that way. 
You see, worry doesn't lengthen life, it shortens it. Worry tortures us. Worry makes us physically sick. Worry literally wastes, wastes precious time, and it puts the focus on ourselves and not on the God of this universe. That's what worry does. Worry puts you at the center of your problem every time. And Jesus' logic is this. If you can't add an hour to your life, why do you worry about the rest of this stuff? Let the one who holds your life in his hand, let him do the worrying for you. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 27, he says, okay, look around. I imagine they're sitting in a field. He says, consider the flowers here. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time you just took the opportunity to take a walk down the bike trail or somewhere and just look at all the flowers. Not, not the roses that you work so hard in your garden for. Those are beautiful. Not all that stuff. I'm just talking about the wildflowers. When was the last time you just stopped and paused and looked at a wildflower? You can walk on Monday and Tuesday, get back there, and that flower's totally gone. It's shriveled up, right? But a new one's come and taken its place. And Jesus says, consider the flowers. And, and then he asks this question, can you clothe yourself as beautifully as these flowers are clothed? I mean, like, when you really get down right close to those flowers, they're just amazing. And you see the intricacies there, and you see the depth and the difference of colors that God uses when he creates those things. You and I would have never come up with anything near that. And Jesus says this, if God dresses these flowers so well that are going to be burned up or cut down and, and, and eaten by cows for hay or the bunnies are going to come along and eat, these things that are so temporal, if God clothes them so well, who are you to think that God won't clothe you? And then he gets to the real source of the problem. Do you see it there at the end of verse 28? It's a heart problem, and what's the heart problem? Oh, you of little faith. Faith. Mark this down. When you are worrying, you are doubting. When you are worrying, you are doubting. When you, when you give in to worry, when you choose to worry, you are, you are saying this. You may not think you're saying this, but this is what you're saying to God. I don't believe what you've promised me, so I'm going to choose to worry about it. When you and I make that conscious choice to worry, we're, we're doubting. And when we don't trust God and his promises, we're in clear opposition to his command. And that's serious. That's a nice way of saying we're sinning. Let me say it again to you. When we choose not to trust God and his promises, we're in direct opposition to his clear command, which is sin. So it's really clear. Are, are, are we clear so far, church? Look up here. Are you awake with me? Are we clear so far that God doesn't want us to worry? You're pretty clear on that? Yeah. And, and, and yet, he doesn't want his disciples to worry. He doesn't want them to be paralyzed with this. And, and, and he gives us a way now to stop worrying. And it begins with what he said by knowing that God even provides for birds and, and for flowers and it, it's, we see here that it involves faith, but it's going to take even more than that. It involves a change in our desires. You want to stop worrying, you've got to change the things that you desire. 
And we see this beginning in verse 29. Jesus says, Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So last week we saw the danger of covetousness and greed. Remember that? We saw that. And we saw that our hearts are prone that way. And we saw what the love of money does and how it draws attention from the one who wants to be our provider. Jesus' prescription for worry is not to hoard more things to ourselves. It's not. It's not to, it's not to make our arms even wider and try to pull things in. That's not his prescription. Actually, what he says is this. Don't pursue after what God already has promised he's going to provide for you. Do you see it there in verse 29? Don't, don't pursue after the things that God's already promised to take care of you in. Stop pursuing those things. Stop going so hard after them. Don't worry about what God's taking care of. And in fact, he goes on to say this in verse 30. When we go out hard after those things that God has promised to take care of for us, we're acting like pagans. We're acting like pagans. He says, all the nations of the world seek after these things. And, and he goes on to say, and duh, your father, your heavenly father knows you need all these things. How often do we pray and we like think we're informing God of something? You ever guilty of praying that way? Like, I don't know if you know what's going on down here right now, but we got problems. No, he knows. He knows. He knows what's going on. He knows how little is in your bank account. He knows that your brakes are going bad on your car. He knows that your job is tenuous. He knows all these things, and he says, because I know and I got a plan, you stop worrying. Stop worrying about that stuff. Instead, he said, you want, you want to invest your energy well? Here's what you do. Verse 31, instead. Instead. Take, take that time you spend worrying and instead replace it with this. Seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. And then he makes a promise. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure. I love that. To give you the kingdom. God delights to give this to us. To give us his kingdom. You say, what does it mean to seek the kingdom and to pursue the kingdom? What is that? Well, pursuing the kingdom begins for all of us with salvation, doesn't it? And salvation is simply this. It's an acknowledging the fact that God is God and that he's Lord of all. And we submit to his authority in our life. And we accept that free gift of salvation that he gives to us. And pursuing the kingdom is living our lives in submission to God's authority and, and living in a way that serves him and pleases him. So you say, oh, Pastor Dan, you're telling us we just got to come to church more. No. No. Jesus is saying this. Stop worrying about the temporal things of this life and seek the, big, the bigger things, the greater things, the lasting things. Do me a favor and think over this past week. Just think over this past week. Your work 
the way you spent your leisure time, if you had any leisure time, who you followed around, what you did, and ask yourself this, how much of that was for eternity and how much of that was for this life? How much of that was for eternity and how much of that was just for this life? Remember what we found out last week? We can spend our lives living like there's only 70 when in reality there's 7,000, 70,000, 7 million. And too often we're focused on the what? The 70. The 70. And what Jesus is saying is, here, here's, here's, here's how you eliminate worry out of your life. You stop worrying about the 70 and focus on the bigger picture here. You live for the kingdom of God. You seek it. And, and notice the guarantee in verse 32. <laughs> Little flock. Jesus talking in terms of endearment to these disciples. And I'm sure they probably didn't appreciate being called little lambs and little sheep, but that's what he says to them. My little followers, my little group here, my little flock. Here's what God delights. God absolutely delights to give us the kingdom. Here's the thing. We want God to give us everything we want in this life. And I want you to catch this. God is not in the business of giving you everything you want in this life, but he is guaranteeing he will give you the kingdom. What do you want? You want the little things in this life or do you want the kingdom? And we're so, we get so bent out of shape. I didn't get what I wanted, God. And I'm bitter and I'm angry. And now i got to worry about getting the things that you didn't get me. And we miss a bigger, greater truth, a bigger treasure that God wants to give us the kingdom, people. Turn with me to the book of Psalms. David understood this. David understood this. Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Verse 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Not refuge in his things or refuge in his possessions or those things. Refuge in God himself. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Do you really believe that? That doesn't sound like the anxious thoughts of a worried man. A couple pages over in Psalm 37, notice what he says. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. That's seeking the kingdom. <laughs> trust in the Lord and do good. That's seeking the kingdom. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. That's a promise from God. That's not a promise for a new Corvette in your garage or anything like that. What that is, is you seek him in his ways. You, you commit to obeying him. You commit to faithfulness to him. And he's not going to let you suffer and want. You say, but, but I might have some hardship in this life. Yeah, but he's giving you the kingdom. Don't ever forget that. He delights and wants to give you the kingdom. Which leads me to one final thought. And Jesus wraps up with this final thought in verses 33 and 34. You want to totally eliminate worry in your life? Adopt a new investment strategy. That just sounds gross, doesn't it? For some of us, we talk about investments and we're like, Ugh. 
But invest in long-term growth. Your possessions are temporal. Give them to those who are in need. Do you see that in verse 33? Sell your possessions and give to the needy. It's easy to sell your possessions when you see them as temporal. Think of your most prized possession. Some of you are like, it's, it's my wife. No, I want you to think about possession. A thing. A thing. Think about that most prized possession. The thing that, that if your house catches on fire, that's the one thing when you're driving up the driveway, I got to get in and get it. Okay? Some of you men, it might be a gun that maybe your grandfather handed down to you or something like that. For, for women, it might be pictures of your children or something. Okay? Think about that thing. Are you going to be able to take that thing to eternity with you? Are you? No. I'm going to tell on Paul for a second. We're talking Monday night at the funeral home. And he's like, you know, we're worried about all what we're doing with mom's stuff. And he said, the thing is, I don't want any of her stuff. The thing that I wanted in her room was her. You see, when you lose a loved one, that comes really much in focus, doesn't it? I spend time talking to, to undertakers and funeral home directors, and they tell me horrific stories about how families fight over the possessions of the loved one there. Guess what, folks? You can fight and get all that stuff, and in the end, when you die, someone's going to fight over it again. You can't take it with you. And Jesus says, look at it at verse 33. These are Jesus' words, not PD's words. Sell your possessions, give to the needy. And in doing so, you're providing yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. It doesn't make sense, but it's the, this, is, this is the Jesus way. You want to stop worrying about what you have? Give it away. You, you want to you, you, you don't worry about all this stuff? Just, just give it away, and in doing so, you're providing yourself with a heavenly investment. That's a true long-term growth strategy right there. Invest in heavenly investments. Why? Why? Because verse 34, when we do that, our hearts follow. So there's been all this stuff about cryptocurrency on the news, right? And you know what? Anytime cryptocurrency comes up in the news, I don't even pay attention. You want to know why? You want to know why? I don't have any. <laughs> I could care less. When Apple stocks fall, guess what? I don't worry. But if you told me that on the land next to my house they were going to put in a large industrial pig farm... I'd get worried. Why? Because I have treasure there, right? My house. And, and, and that illustrates the point that Jesus is making here in verse 34. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. If you are making heavenly investments, guess where your attention is drawn to? Think about it in terms of VBS. Tonight, we're going to have over 100 plus kids with grimy, dirty hands and snotty noses and, and stuff walk in here. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to touch our walls. 
And they're going to dirty our carpet. And they're going to mess up the chairs. And some of us are like, this is God's house. Folks, it's just a building. This building ain't going to eternity with us. But there may be some souls who might go along with us for the ride. And this week, we have an opportunity to make heavenly investments. Parents, in a couple weeks, when you pick up your teenagers from teen week, and you don't want to let them in your car after mud night. I know. Guess what? It's eternal stuff. Your car ain't going to go to heaven. And, and, and can I get any more real than that with us this morning? If our kids only see us worrying about the temporal stuff and putting our hands on the walls and doing this stuff and making sure that we don't run in God's house and all these things, guess what? We're missing the point. We're missing the heart. We're missing the heart. And, and here's the thing. Most of us in this room would call us the children of would call ourselves the children of God. We'd call ourselves the children of God, yet we live worried, anxious lives, and those two things don't match up. Do you realize that? To consider yourself the child of God and live your life in worry, those two things don't match up. Something isn't working right here. Because we're the children of the heavenly king who owns it all, and we need to stop worrying about all this temporal stuff because he's promised to take care of it. Could you imagine an interview with Prince William in England? We're worried about our finances. You're the child of the queen. You have no worries with money, dude. Right? And here we are, the children of somebody far greater, almighty God, and we worry about the temporal stuff. And Jesus is saying, you of little faith, Scarberry of little faith. So in conclusion, what do we do? Well, let me be real practical with you. It might be helpful for you and for me to rehearse and remember the promises of God. And the way that we do that is to get in his word and read about what he promises to us. And we need to realize this, that we're of far greater importance in God's eyes than birds and blooms. You're more important than birds and flowers. And we need to confidently trust him. And if we're confidently trusting him, we're going to change our investment strategies. I'm not telling you jobs aren't important. They, they help pay bills. But I, there's some of us in this room that are so, we're, we're so identified by our jobs and what we do and, 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 the, and, the, and the positions we hold. And let's understand this. When you get to heaven, it doesn't matter if you were president or if you were janitor. Do you know that? What matters is that you provided for your family, right? And God's promised that we're going to be able to provide for our families, hasn't he? We get so wrapped up in this temporal stuff. 
that we forget. There's going to be a 7 million and a 700 million and a 7 quintillion and keep going on and on. Eternity doesn't last, folks. I mean, eternity lasts. It doesn't end. It doesn't end. This life ends. And the way that we keep it in perspective is by keeping an eye to eternity. God help us to do that. So in a minute, I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, most of you are going to want to get out of here. But Miranda doesn't want you to get out of here. This is Miranda's fault, not mine. I have this note that fell everywhere. I found it, Miranda. After the service today, Miranda needs help. It's not just, yeah, Miranda does need help. But um, she needs help with setting up the sanctuary and a few other rooms. And anybody that's able to move chairs, meet Miranda right here and move a few other things. And I would also say this to you. All the stuff that's all around this church that you see up all has to come down on Thursday night. And we're going to need help Thursday night as well. So if you could be here Thursday night, what, 8.15-ish, kind of like that time, Miranda? Yeah. 8 o'clock. Okay. So we just need some help, folks. And you say, it's just a few minutes. Yeah, but you're investing in eternity. I'm like, really? Yeah, moving chairs can invest in eternity. Because right in that area where we're moving the chairs out of is where the kids are going to learn their scripture this week. You can have a part. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for caring too much about the 70 years. And God, I pray that you would do a mighty work in our hearts, that we would focus, that we would focus on eternity, that we would focus on the fact that we spend way too much time worrying about stuff that's not going to matter in the end. Put our focus on the kingdom of heaven, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.